Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So, if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So, if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem, we'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. We'll be studying today Psalms 82, 83, and 84. So we'll jump right in. Psalm 82, verse 1. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Okay, so how number verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality? To the wicked. Okay, so here we go. We're jumping right in. This psalm is talking about a judge and the judges and the judgment. Okay, so the judge obviously is God. Okay, and he's taken his place in his divine council. Okay, but in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Now, as Dr. McGee points out, a lot of times critics of the Bible will point to this psalm saying, you know what, that's there's more than one God or, you know, the it, you know, the Bible is inconsistent because it's talking really about there being a whole bunch of gods anyway. So really the Bible is uh contradicting itself because the Bible says there's only one God and now it's talking about Oh, it, you know, the Bible admits that there's more than one God. Okay, so we're, it's important for us to understand this. And then in the midst of the gods, our God holds judgment. Okay, so that's what it seems to say, but that's not really what it says. So we'll keep reading to develop this and understand it. It says, so it starts off that God's going to start, you know, judging at some point. Verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? So it's speaking to the midst of these gods. He holds judgment. So he's going to hold judgment in the midst of all these other gods. And he's sort of saying, how long will you judge unjustly? He's talking to these other gods who are unjust. How long will you, uh, you know, 
let the wicked off. And when, you know, for for me and you, the average person, you know, we're sort of bound by whatever country we live in and whatever country we would live in, we've got judges over us. And these people are supposed to, um, you know, say what's right and wrong. And of course, the average person sometimes feels like uh, maybe uh, the people who are in authority, maybe the police officers or the politicians or you know, um, people in authority, we always look at them sort of with a critical eye. Maybe it's even your boss at work or your school teacher or your professors or, you know, anybody who seems to hold authority. For a lot of us, the natural reaction is to look at them critically. Or maybe for some of us, it's to, to fall in love with whatever they say. But, but we tend to have a, a reaction to people in authority, positions of power over us. We can let those people completely rule us and we'll be blind to them, or we look at them critically. Either way, we have to acknowledge that, that, that these judges or people of power over us hold an enormous amount of power over us, because they basically have the power to say what's right and what's wrong. And so when we see this practical um, reality played out, we know that uh, as it gets more and more personal and we get deeper and deeper and deeper, uh, we'll say, you know what, they don't really appreciate me. The judge over me may, may be my boss, and I did all this good work, but I didn't get rewarded for it. And you see other people who don't do the work you do, and they get promoted for it. And you know in your heart that's an unjust situation. Or maybe you, um, you're you in court, or you see the newspapers, and you see people who uh, loot or steal or rob, and they just seem to get off, or the, the sentence that they get um, doesn't really matter, you know? Or you see other people who didn't do hardly anything, and they get this severe penalty because maybe the judge or um, the jury is pressured by society, you know, to do something to make the people happy. So, there's just a lot of this in the world, the reality of the world. And for most of us, we try to do our best and stay out of trouble and don't do things you know, wrong. But um, sometimes the closer you get to the judgment, uh, you see that the court of law uh, is not a perfect place. And that, that just kind of humiliates us sometimes or, or deflates us other times. Because you want to believe that things will be done the right way, especially when it comes to you, you know, or me. You know, you want things to be done properly. You want to be treated fairly. Most everybody wants a fair, they talk about a fair fight or a fair election or a fair play. Um, people don't like cheaters. So um, God's sort of asking this question 
to these current judges, but he calls them gods. So let's explain that a bit bit more. Verse 3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. It's almost like he's saying to the judges or to the the current, quote, gods that hold judgment, you got to do this. You got to think when you when you put on the robe of justice or when you um, sit at the high court or when you're having authority over other people, he's saying be fair to the weak, the fatherless, the orphans who can't defend themselves. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. You got to maintain your decision for the lowest person in the room or in society. You got to make sure it's equal. Verse 4 Rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That's what a good judge has to do. They have neither knowledge or understanding, they walk about in darkness. Now, who are they talking about now? He's talking about these judges, these unjust judges, or people who would claim to have authority over people. And when these people try to judge the world, when there's only one true judge, and that's God, that shakes the foundations of the whole earth because the whole earth is built on one judge. Now it gets a little clearer in verse 6. I said you are God's son of the Most High, all of you. Okay? He says, I said you're God's. He's saying to these judges, you're God's for now. You're sitting in place of judgment. Okay? And even Jesus said to Pilate, you're not in authority over me had it not been given down by my Father in heaven. It's the Father in heaven who gives the authority and who allows there to be temporary judges, if you will, people of power. And these people are not necessarily going to be good judges, you know. But for now, you are sort of earthly judges. He said, I said, you are God's sons of the most high, all of you. Verse 7, nevertheless, men like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. It's a warning to the people who sit in judgment. I've given you this place of power, says the Lord in heaven, our Father in heaven. I've given you this authority over other men, and you better be careful. You better be fair, because I've given you, I've given you this authority. And you gotta remember, you too are just a mortal man. You too are going to die and fall like anybody else, like any prince. They're all going to die. Verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So again, one day, God will judge these people He calls gods. Now, this is very interesting because um, this verse, this is quoted, um, this psalm, is quoted uh, in First Chronicles chapter twenty-six, 
uh, when, um, let me see if I can pull this up. Let me see. Uh, no, this psalm is quoted. I'm sorry. This psalm is quoted in John chapter 10, um, verses 34, when Jesus was uh, teaching in the temple courts. Um, he uh, ended up saying, I and my Father are one. And in verse 31, this is again John chapter 10, again his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, But I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And then the, 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 the Jewish opponents said in verse 33, We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Okay? So that's what they, they looked like they had him. They got him. Now they can stone him for claiming for blasphemy. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus answered them using Psalm 82. Jesus said, It is not, is it not written in your law? I have said, You are gods. Okay? That's Psalm 82, verse 6. If he called them gods, quote unquote, and he's again, he's talking about these, these, uh, these judges, these temporary earthly judges, he calls them gods. He said, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, okay, this authority that God gives, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I say I'm God's son. Okay? So Jesus is saying, you know, why are you accusing me of blasphemy? Because I'm saying God's son. Because God has already said to other people, you are God's. Okay? You know, of course, blasphemy is claiming to be God. But Jesus didn't say that. He said, I am um God's son. Okay? And um, so, anyway, that was Jesus quoting um, Psalm 82. Um, so, again, um, an interesting psalm. It's got a lot of uh, uh, instruction for us. But, again, it really speaks, uh, again, also into the nature of God. This is God's nature as a completely just judge. So not only do we see the fact that he gives his authority to others and he calls them sort of gods over the earth, but he's telling them you better be a good judge because those who don't are going to perish just like anybody else. And again, it reclaims his authority that only God will judge the whole earth and he will actually inherit all the nations. All the people who are after his judgment, uh, the people who um, uh, will place their faith in our Lord Christ, uh, he will inherit them. They will be uh, sons and daughters of God. They will be adopted. Okay, Psalm 82, very uh, encouraging. Now we jump to Psalm 83. This is the last psalm of Asap. Um, so we start off, O oh God, do not keep silence. Do not hold your peace or be still, or God, for your enemies 
make an uproar. Those who hate you have raised their heads. They lay their crafty plans against your people. They consult together against your treasured ones. They say, come, let us wipe out uh, as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. Okay, they're crafty people, huh? Verse 5, for they conspire with one accord. Against you they make a covenant. And then it talks about the different groups of people. These are nations that um, some of, you know, these are not uh, in existence anymore today. But the Bible says it's almost like a prophecy in the Psalm 83. It's looking forward that these former nations apparently are going to get back together and unite uh, with one another uh, to try to conspire and wipe out Israel as a nation. It's the tents of Edom and Ishmaelites, Moab, Hagarites, Jebel, Ammon, Amalek, Philista, the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher also join them. There are the strong arm of the children of Lot. So again, this is a a forward-looking psalm. Apparently in the last days, uh, these people are going to reemerge. What is the psalmist saying, though? Is he is he calling for the people of Israel to do something? No. He's calling out for God's judgment. He's calling not for man's action, but for God's judgment. Verse 13, Oh my God, make them like a whirling dust, like chafe before the wind, as fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, that they may know that you alone whose name is the Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D, meaning God the Father, are the most high over all the earth. So in the midst of of all of this, this is actually a almost like a prophecy of danger. A lot of the Psalms have talked about danger when the enemies are coming and that type of thing. Psalm 83 is a little bit different in that it is um, a psalm that is praying for a future, a future battle, a future enemy. And Psalm 83 is um, praying for God to take care of it. And um, so that's uh, that to me. That's what makes Psalm eighty three really interesting. Uh, in that, it's more of a if it's a it's a prophecy into something that we may see developing one day. Who knows? But um, God knows. And so, um, yeah, a very forward looking psalm. Apparently, that's that's going to happen at some point. Um, psalm eighty four. Um, We're going to jump right in. We're jumping in the dwelling place of God. Verse 1, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Verse 2, My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. The courts of the Lord. This is the temple of God. Verse 3, Even the sparrows find a home. And the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O God of hosts, my King and my God. This is talking about the altars of God. This is written by the sons of Korah. And as Dr. McGee points out, <clears throat> um, 
the sons of Korah, we see in First Chronicles chapter 26, verse 1, uh, the, the sons of Korah uh, are some of the gatekeepers in the temple. So the temple of God has all these gates. Uh, verse 1 uh, in First uh, Chronicles 26, from the, the divisions of the gatekeepers, from the Korites, and it's talking about the sons of Kor uh, and one of the sons of Asaph. <clears throat> so we see, um, looks like we see uh, Asaph was writing, uh, was writing some psalms, and the sons of Korah are writing some psalms. And uh, verse 12, we'll jump down to verse 12. These divisions of these folks, these gatekeepers, um, so some of these gatekeepers were actually writing these psalms. These gatekeepers, through their leaders, had duty for ministering in the temple of the Lord. This is in verse 12. Just as their relatives had uh, then lots were cast for each gate according to the families, young and old alike. Now, <clears throat> it looks like uh, these gatekeepers uh, were positions of honor. These men were dependable men. They're standing out on the gates, and as the people come in, they're ministering to the people. They're keeping the spirits up. They're trying to educate the people. They are instructing the people. So you've got these gatekeepers, and they're um, they're casting lots to see who would maybe get this position. Um, maybe so it wouldn't be politics that put people there, <clears throat> but um, for for any event, um, I'd have to study more to to tell you about that. But but these gatekeepers apparently had. Um, a really um, important position uh, to minister to the people around uh, the temple of God. And so it's talking, one of these gatekeepers, the sons of Korah, is talking about the way he felt about being a gatekeeper. Okay, so this is really talking about the courts of the Lord uh, as as, uh, described by one of his gatekeepers. So there you go. So <clears throat> so when somebody greets you when you go into church, you know, you're greeting hands with a gatekeeper. Or if that's your job, this is the heart of somebody who uh, this is really should be the heart of every gatekeeper. Um, we'll hold, uh, we'll jump down to, uh, we'll, we'll just say, blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. Blessed are whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Okay, these are the gates coming to the dwelling place of God. Okay, and so um, verse 9, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. So now as we're, you know, we're entering God's temple, it's really God's temple is our shield. And as we enter God's temple, as they entered, they were looking on the face of the anointed. You know, the, as they entered the temple, you know, of course, the, the, the inner part, 
the Holy of Holies. You couldn't even go there. Only the selected few could go there because that's supposed to be the dwelling place of God. But this future look to the future city, the future temple of God, this is kind of forward-looking <clears throat> on Zion, on Mount Zion, when God reestablishes His temple, His holy temple, <clears throat> we'll all be able to approach God. We'll all be able to look at the face of God when He dwells in His people. Of course, <clears throat> God originally came and made the face of His Son. Let His face shine upon you is sort of a is sort of a, a head nod to Jesus Christ. So, in one sense, God Himself comes to Earth so that we could see the face of God. Now, Moses could look upon the face of God. Moses' face shone. It was radiant for days. And he was so scared he had to put a veil over it because he didn't want to scare the people because his face was shining. Like, what's that all about? So, <clears throat> trying to be in the presence of God has been <clears throat> a quest from, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament in Revelation. Being in God's presence. So in the Old Testament, nobody could be in God's presence because God's too holy. And so in the New Testament, Jesus comes, God comes to earth to be in the presence of man, to, to bring him peace so that <clears throat> his face could shine upon them. His, he became mortal. But again, we look forward to the future that God is coming again. Jesus Christ is coming again to reestablish the kingdom of God. And we will be all, we'll all be able to approach his holiness at that point. So this psalmist is talking about this holy dwelling place, not only sort of a head nod to the, the, the to the gatekeepers in the, the you know the brick and mortar house of God that they had built, but it's also looking ahead to the holy place of God in when he reestablished his kingdom. Our shield, look on the face of your anointed. In verse 10, for a day <clears throat> in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Isn't that a beautiful um, verse? Just a day in God's courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. That's how incomparable <clears throat> God's dwelling place is for us. It's incomparable. Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good things does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So again, a forward-looking song, psalm <clears throat> that those who trust in the Lord will have a dwelling place. We will have a home. We have a Father who is going to adopt us <clears throat> in just a day. In this holy court is like a thousand days somewhere else. You know, it's going to be that good, and nothing will be withheld from you or me who walk uprightly. That's a really powerful, encouraging psalm. You almost have to dwell on it for a long time. It is. It is what you should be looking forward to. I should be looking forward to if we um, place our faith in the Lord. If the Word of God is our stronghold, if it's our strength, then the temple of God, the, the dwelling place of God, 
is our home. It's our home. And that home is going is is so good that it is is worth one day is worth a thousand elsewhere. And <clears throat> the psalmist says, I'd rather just be a doorkeeper than dwell in the temple of the wicked or the tents of the wicked. Okay? Even just a doorkeeper. But a doorkeeper has a really important role because you're a minister. So you're a doorkeeper. You could be like a doorkeeper like in the in the temple here, like the sons of Korah were door gatekeepers. You can be a gatekeeper at church by greeting people coming in. But you're also a gatekeeper <coughs> to the Word of God. When you walk around other people, you're a gatekeeper. You're a gatekeeper um, to people around you, to the Word of God. You are, you're the minister that they put at the doorway. You're a minister outside the temple or at the gate. <clears throat> so as the people are walking by, you're representing what's inside. You're representing the dwelling place of God inside that maybe the people don't see. You know, the ministers and the holy, holier people were inside, but you're on the outside. You're you're the face of God to the public. When they come in to the temple, they approach the face of God. But on the outside, on the gatekeeper on the outside, you're a gatekeeper too. Just like the sons of Korah were a gatekeeper and Asaph, the sons of them. They were all out there on the gates. Okay? So... Um, beautiful analogy of the dwelling place of God uh, as, it, as, it, as it compares to the physical temple that the, that the, uh, that the Israelites had at that point in time <clears throat> and this comparison of, the, of the, the tremendous nature of the, the, the temple of God um, and our belonging to it our dwelling place with it, and um, it represents what we're putting our faith in. So be a gatekeeper for that holy temple. Of course, the New Testament again points to the fact that you become the temple for, for God, you know, in the form of the Holy Spirit. God Himself will be. So you're a temple too. So you've got this old temple Okay, that the sons of Korah were looking at. Of course, the Solomon's temple you know, gets rebuilt, but this physical temple and this future temple of Zion, okay, on Mount Zion when God reestablishes his temple. But right now, in, in our lives, we have God's holy temple in our physical bodies right now. Got the Old Testament temples, we've got the New Testament temples, which are our bodies. Where God dwells in us, and then we got this future temple on this Mount Zion, on Mount Zion, when God reestablishes His kingdom. We won't have our physical bodies anymore, but we will dwell in Him. So right now He dwells in us. Isn't that cool? Right now He dwells in us. We're the temple, and in the future we'll dwell in Him. He'll have His temple. We'll dwell in Him, His temple. You know. Right now, He's in you and you are in Him. Just like Jesus said, I'm in the Father and He's in me. 
So right now, the same application is going for you. He's in you, and then you'll be in Him. Very cool. Very cool when you start dwelling, letting your heart dwell in what a temple is. Right now, you're a temple. And your temple is the dwelling place of God. And just as the dwelling place of God with the sons of Korah, uh, you're not only the dwelling place of God, but you're the gatekeeper for your own dwelling place of God. So, be you know, you're the, you're the gatekeeper for the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, you got the same Holy Spirit living in you that the Holy of Holies had in the Old Testament. The people couldn't even approach it. So you're walking around as <laughs> you're walking around as a holy temple. And you know, the more you think about it, the more you just say, This is blowing my mind. So you have this holy dwelling place of God in your physical body, plus you're a gatekeeper. Plus you have this promise that you have the word of God as your rock and your shield. And then eventually in the future you're going to have this new rock and sh- this new shield. This is God's eternal holy place, dwelling place, because your physical body won't be in here anymore. Then you'll dwell in His holy place. We'll all worship God at that point together. So I hope this was helpful to you and encouraging to you. Of course, <clears throat> it is to me. It's just These are just beautiful psalms. This, this uh, third book of the Psalms, this Leviticus kind of um, book that talks about the dwelling place and the worshiping of God. And uh, we, re- we, we can also see, see no, as, as well uh, as God's heart, God's nature, and what a just judge He is, and how He is just ready to reconcile Himself to every one of us in a personal way, in a very personal way. And he's waiting. He knows every single person by name. So even the people who aren't born, he already knows them by name. So God has to reconcile all the people, even the people who are coming and who haven't been born. But he's got to reconcile himself to all mankind. He's a just judge. And it's nothing is going, nothing is going on that he's not sovereign over and knows about. So very, um, very reassuring Psalms. It should tell you that a just judge is in place. And uh, even when nations conspire against the nation of Israel, God will deal with all that too. But a day is coming when His temple is going to be here. So I hope this was again again encouraging. This is the part of the podcast where I will turn it over to my, my co-host, Matali in Zambia. Matali, hope you're doing great. Look forward to hearing what you have to say about this. And for all, for me to all of you, God bless you. And I'll see you next time.